This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. And joining me from North Carolina is the author Drew Bridges. Welcome, sir, to the program. I'm happy to be here. Love the pro. I love the the uh, photos on the on the cover. I'm assuming that's a family member because your book does deal with a family experience and a little history. Um, the back of your book said the Brooklyn Dodgers defeated the New York Yankees in the seventh game of the 1955 World Series in the greatest baseball game ever played. This one, this story, deals with the second greatest baseball game ever played. Share with my listeners, what is this book about? This book is about several things. One, it's my father's soldier come home from war story. That's mom and dad on the cover, dad in his um, army uniform. And the book came about because I ended up with a hundred letters that he wrote to my mother from World War II from Italy, 1944 and 45. The letters essentially were his dreams of what his life was going to be like when he got back. He was dreaming of the easy life. Well, he didn't get the easy life because he ended up having five kids. But one thing that he did have was baseball. He got very involved in youth sports. He was essentially the founder of the local Little League program in my hometown of Hildebrand, Western North Carolina. And the title of the book refers to a pickup game that he organized for boys aged 10 to 14 that served as a inspiration for starting the local Little League program when he got some other men involved. And the second greatest baseball game is that pickup game. And I, in the book, I structure the chapters around the following. Each chapter begins with a letter from Italy then evolves into some of my recollections of life in the 50s and ends with a half inning of that baseball game that I recreated from start to finish. Your, your, pitch, your dad had, a, had an, an unexciting uh, beginning. He was actually an orphan child back in, what, the early 1900s, correct? Yes, and, and that's another thing that the, uh, the book is about. It's a baseball book. It's a soldier come home from war story. It's also a father and son story. Uh, if there is a overarching lesson of the book, it's that one does not need to have a great start in life uh, to have a good life and to make a contribution to others. You don't um, you don't have to be a perfect person. My dad was not a perfect person, but he was a a good man that made a lot of contributions to his family and his community after a, a, a terrible start in life. He was a hard worker also when he returned from war, and uh, you you lived in rather humble surroundings, and yet your dad took on a career of uh, working nights for many, many years in a factory, correct? That's correct. And how did you, you know, resolve that relationship? Because he was sleeping a lot of the time, and when you first approached him about 
playing baseball or getting into a league, he was not super responsive or receptive at the moment, but somehow his his attitude changed and, and you got involved. Well, I think he was looking for something more out of life. And I think one of the things that he found that was rewarding in life was sports and his involvement in sports. And, and this gave him a role both within his family as a father to me and my brother and to make a contribution to the surrounding community. And I think it ended up being a, a, a very positive and rewarding thing for him as well. Share a little bit more of the second greatest baseball game ever played. You talk about the different chapters. What do you feel is the hook that will keep the reader engaged and progressing through the story? Well, one of my favorite parts of it was that uh, he had made a deal with a local boy who was a real baseball enthusiast to get a team together, and he was going to get a team together. But Paul, Paul Fowler, the other boy, ended up with players that were essentially two to three years older than all of us. And so Dad hopped in the car and went and got a couple of ringers from a local hometown, (laughs) one of whom was a boy named Bill Klein, who actually ended up playing professional football, as did his brother. And with... Billy Pitching and Drury Lambert, the other ringer that he found, um, we uh, we we won the game two to one, uh, and uh, some of the the action in the baseball game proceeds through Billy's domination of the other team, but uh, um, the contribution by the, the other younger. I was a I was the wimpy 10-year-old second baseman and uh, didn't make one play in the game to contribute to the to the win, but uh, I'll let the reader read about my, my fabulous defensive play in the field. Uh, you also progressed and uh, earned an education or earned a, a degree. Uh, was there anything in the baseball experience that kept you motivated to uh, to get beyond where you were in life as a child? Well, you know, I am one of these people that regularly annoy others with uh, baseball is life philosophy. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yogi Berra died recently, but, you know, he had all these funny sayings about life lessons from from baseball. And, uh, and, I, and I think that was true for me as well. The competition, the camaraderie with the other guys, the... Uh, setting a goal and reaching it. Uh, my, my involvement in sports uh, contributed a great deal to my moving from the wimpy, clueless kid to someone who could actually accomplish some things. Uh, chapter 9, you deal with words and language of baseball. Is that, um, is that clinical in its, uh, in its content, or is there something else there? No, it's, it's, a, it's a life... If you listen to our common language today, baseball runs through it. Three strikes, you're out. Uh, getting home. Uh, all of those metaphors, swinging for the fences. Uh, uh, you know that permeates business and philosophy of our of our American culture, and that's that's what that's about. Your book is, although dealing with baseball as a metaphorical 
approach to life, I'm guessing, is the best way to describe this. I mean, it, it is a personal story, but it also is done in narrative, uh, just as though it just as though the the reader is actually at the game and there and engaged in conversation it's beautifully done you have uh, have perhaps some other desires in writing this besides telling the wonderful story of your your dad and his parenting and uh, the, his impact on life are there any other stories that have emerged since completing this, uh, maybe from former teammates or other people, friends and family, that, that perhaps underscore some of the message that you have uh, portrayed in your book? Well, I did a reading of the book in my hometown where the baseball game was played, and a nice handful of the boys who played in the game showed up, including Paul Fowler, the one who picked the other team, and including Bill Klein, our, our pitcher. And I was very gratified to uh, hear from them that I that I got the story right. You know, obviously, all those years ago, I didn't remember every pitch. So there's some creativity in recreating the game. But I got the spirit right, and they they said very good things. Uh, particularly with Billy, I said, Billy, did I did I tell your story right? And he said, Sure, you did. If you hadn't, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> The the story that really underscores the importance of a father figure in a, a young guy's life, did it impact others on the baseball team that, uh, that, that, that you're aware of, his contribution? Yeah, yes, it, it, it did. There were, um, uh, on the baseball team and, and beyond, I have 26 first cousins from my family, and a number of them have read the book. Um, and they have given me recollections which amounted to testimonials uh, about about my father and the contributions he made to their lives. And um, well, one other part of the book is actually a testimonial from a, a boy that didn't play in that baseball game, but played in a uh, basketball league that my dad helped organize as well. He helped organize youth basketball as well. And Gary actually wrote a piece for the book um, telling a story of how my dad had impacted his life as well. Wonderful testimonial of uh, the impact of uh, an adult on a child's life in a positive way. And, and, of course, connected with sports, some dads don't have the time or the energy, but your dad took the time to do it, even though he was working a night shift and had a very difficult schedule, I would think. And he, he worked that schedule, what, for 30 or 35 years? Is that uh, the length of time he worked for the company? I don't remember exactly how many years, but it was the uh, he held the job from the time he got back from the Army until he retired. Incredible. You also have written other stories. This is not your first book. Your other book is uh, Stories from the Sunshine Mountain Valley. Does it recount some of those also personal experiences that you have uh, have shared in, in the second greatest baseball game ever played? No, it's, it's a very different kind of book. And actually, I have another book just out, which is called The Family in the Mirror, which is informed by my work as a psychiatrist. It's about a... Um, a young girl trying to escape a cult and a troubled mental health professional. And the two people's lives intersect, misunderstandings occur, bad decisions are made, and consequences accrue. But uh, this book was from my work as a psychiatrist rather than my experiences in, in sports. 
As a writer, and as you look at this completed project, the second greatest baseball game ever played, what is your hope the reader will take away from this? What's the message underlying the story? That a person does not have to be a perfect person to make a real contribution to the lives of others. And a person can have a really bad start in life and still um, do, do well. For those other fledgling authors who may be listening, how long did it take to complete this story? I've been working on that story ever since I got the letters. My dad died in 1997, and I had been slowly massaging the idea, uh, you know, for, you know, a decade or so. And how would you introduce the book to someone that might want to consider this as something they should add to their library. Uh, if you enjoy a soldier coming home from a war story, or baseball, or a father and son story, I think you'll enjoy this um, this this book. Uh, one small detail of it that might be important to some readers is that. I've, often been asked about what was the hardest part in writing this book, and it was actually the baseball part, because I wanted to write a book that would appeal to people who don't necessarily know baseball or don't necessarily like baseball, but would still get something out of it, and yet at the same time not dumb it down so that someone who really loved baseball would feel like they were uh, being preached to. So I, I think I, I did a good bit of explaining what Certain things in baseball were all about, but I think I did it in a way that uh, that didn't insult the reader who really knows about baseball. You've done a wonderful job of engaging the reader. The The story, again, is a narrative in its approach. It's not just a dry history. And you've also included those personal stories of, of your dad writing your mom uh, when he was overseas in World War II. Those are, are very touching and uh, certainly give a wonderful insight not only to your family but also to what was going on in the universe at that time. Thank you for sharing your story. Again, the story is titled, The Second Greatest Baseball Game Ever Played. And my author... Drew Bridges has joined me from North Carolina. Sir, where can my listeners get a copy of this? Well, you can get it from any online bookseller. Uh, if you go to my website, edrewbridges.com, my first initial is E, edrewbridges.com, it'll link you to online booksellers, and uh, that's, that's probably the best way to get it. Excellent. Thank you for sharing your story with me. 154 pages, 16 short chapters, and a very brisk read and entertaining at the same time, as well as insightful and heartwarming. Thank you, sir, for joining me and being a part of today's show. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. 
With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book today, I would suggest you turn up your air conditioner because it has been described by the author as sexy, steamy romance. The title is A Shade of Darkness, and joining me from Alberta, Canada, is author J.A. Clausen. Welcome to the program, Thank you very much. Jan, good to, to be here. Jan, it's good to talk with you. Your book, uh, this is your first release, but you uh, have uh, managed to pen 393 pages. I also read in your bio that you have a uh, fascination with a, uh, a rather well-known actor. Yeah. Um, how does that uh, intersect with the book, or does it? Um, yes, it does. Um, my one character in the book is very much like him, uh, Johnny Depp, yeah, so that's he was kind of my inspiration for this character. The the, the uh, beginning of your book, or actually the cover, uh, shows a uh, sailing ship in in uh, in in its profile, and uh, you've on the back of it it says Bronwyn uh, is a beautiful, successful author. She has just finished her second book and has decided to go to a working on a working holiday. And where does that holiday take her? It takes her to the Caribbean. Share with me and with with my listeners. Have you always uh, wanted to pursue uh, a um, an author uh, lifestyle, author career? Uh, I've always wanted to write a book. I don't know. Yeah, um, I've I love to read, and I've always I've read a lot since I was like six, and I learned how to read. And I've just that's something that I love to do. So then I wanted to do it as well, write as well as to read. So. Sure. You, how would you describe your book? Is this a book that is uh, kind of for everyone, or is it uh, maybe a target audience that might enjoy the read a little bit more than others? Uh, it's definitely a target read for mostly women who like sexy, steamy romances with vampires and pirates. <laughs> Aha, so you've added them all together. I know that your book goes back or, or has a flashback where the main character is uh, actually was born in the, is it the 1600s. Is that the way I understand the book uh, begins? Yeah, yeah. And yet this is a present-day, present-tense uh, 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 book or, or novel or storyline. How did you m- uh, marry the two together? Well, he was made a vampire um, back then, and he um, they just met at a pirate festival in Florida. Uh, of course, being a vampire, he is immortal, so he lives, can live forever. So that's kind of how... And it wasn't I, It wasn't from watching SpongeBob SquarePants? No. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, Bronwyn is a name that sort of sounds Welsh to me. Is, that, uh, is any of that factual, or is it just a, a name that you discovered or found that you thought would fit the character? Yeah, I just discovered it, and I really, really liked it. So I thought, oh, that would be a good name for my character. So Does yeah. the does the beginning chapters begin in uh, the Caribbean or in, in the, the South? No, the beginning ones start in Victoria, 
BC, Canada. And that's where the the character lives. I've vis- I have I have visited Victoria, and it's a wonderful town. A uh, little on the oh, what would be the word? Uh, I wouldn't say slow. It's a little more laid back. Maybe that's a, a gentle way of saying uh, what Victoria impressed me as. I'm a rather hyper person, or used to be. Yeah. And uh, Victoria was one of those really very laid back Canadian cities, beautifully uh, situated, and has a wonderful culture. The mm-hmm. character Bronwyn, what is her uh, occupation there? She, is she a writer only? That's all she does is she writes. And her book that she is uh, working on at the moment, had it, has it anything to do with the title, A Shade of Darkness? Um, no. Totally different. <laughs> well, that was that was pretty sneaky of you. No. <laughs> How long ago did you begin the book, A Shade of Darkness? When did you begin writing this? Um, I started writing it about 2011, I think, about. And I, I finished it in 2013. Excellent. Many of my writers will have uh, notes or may have uh, journals that they write from. Was any of the content taken from journals or from journaling? No, no, it was all just um, my imagination and on the spur of the moment. Well, you're off the hook then on the sexy scenes. I guess you're okay. I was yeah. just—I was just wondering whether you might be uh, giving us a glimpse into the the uh, private life of an author. I guess that wouldn't uh, actually um, be a, a a very very fair question. Then, you have mm-hmm. uh, a vivid imagination. Did you write from an outline? Did you just create on the fly, or how did you? How were you able to bring this together into a a, a cohesive uh, a story? I I started it from an outline, and then I. It just it kind of went off on its own. Like I just it it didn't go where I was thinking it would go to begin with. So yeah, my imagination it just took me off somewhere else. So and you have uh, described this how would you as a, a steamy romance and and so on and and deals with vampires and other unusual characters. What is in your mind the most exciting or a phenomenal scene that you've created, one that might even, since Johnny Depp was mentioned, uh, might even attract a a movie uh, rendition of this? Um, I I think just when they met, I think, when he ran into her at the Pirate Festival in Florida, that that was something uh, allured him to her, and he was started following her and it's just that feeling of um i don't know attraction perhaps and attraction and yeah yeah, and, and your book then would not really be one that would be uh, high action other than the sexy, steamy part. Is that is that the best yeah. way to describe yeah, it? Yeah, that's probably about <laughs> it. Well, they ha- there's scenes in there where they're, they're vampires, right? So they kill people for their food. So there is parts where it could be, uh, could be adventurous, I guess. <laughs> yes, uh, out, yeah, out, so. out beyond the curtain, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't know how many curtains you have in your book. I didn't really uh, peruse it that closely. You have uh, described this also as a love story. Uh is this a story that beyond the the obvious that you have already uh, alluded to that the the love story will have a uh, a charming and engaging effect on the reader? 
Um, just, um, I think if you've, you've never felt that deep feeling of love that, um, yeah, that you would experience it in my book. Have you always been fascinated with the paranormal? Yes, I have. And this is the first book that you have completed, and uh, again, it has over 393 pages. That's a very ambitious uh, story and and uh, amount of writing that took place. Um, what has what is your hope? Is there an underlying uh, maybe message, or was there a uh, a reason for writing this other than just for fun and adventure? No, it was. I just wrote it for because um, I I enjoyed doing it, and I hope other people enjoy reading it. You have uh, completed this, and and have you have you had an opportunity to get feedback from the readers who might uh, access your book? Um, I, yes, I have. A lot, uh, most of them have said they really enjoyed it and they liked the ending of it. And the ending is a positive ending. I won't ask you to give away the, uh, the story, but it is a positive ending then. Yes, it is. Fabulous. This book must have inspired you at least on the beginning, uh, start up of, uh, writing it. Has it led to possibly a sequel to this book or are you working on something that's totally different? No, it is. I'm actually writing on a prequel of this book. It's the villain in this book that I'm writing about. And what is the villain's name? Um, Xenia. Uh, ah, so Vince is not the uh, the villain. Vince is a. Yes. How would you describe his uh, his position in this book? He's the gentleman or the individual that is actually a long lived vampire, correct? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. He's like a. Uh, he's kind of like a hero, I guess. He, he was a bad vampire, and he turned into a good guy. That part's important. Absolutely yeah. important. Yeah, you got to do that. Now, in addition to to becoming an author, uh, is, is there any advice that you've received as you began this journey? Um, no, actually, I haven't. You mentioned that your son was uh, in, spurring you on from the sidelines, saying, Mom, you need to get this book written or write a book or do something. Maybe you were getting on his nerves because you weren't busy doing something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I have kids, they, that, that would be their excuse. But uh, he was an encourager for you also, right? Oh, yes, yeah. He he uh, knew I wanted to write a book, and I just kept talking about it, but I had never done anything about it. And he just kept encouraging me and kept saying, Come on, right? Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Like So, yeah, that really helped keep me motivated besides johnny depp and his movies uh is there a book that you remember as a child you you say you're an avid reader is there anything in those early literature pieces that maybe sparked your interest um besides dr seuss of course yeah (laughs) um i liked uh, um horse stories, and I like Anna Green Gables, and yeah. It's kind of a com- combination of the traditional and also the uh, supernatural woven together. Yeah. Well, this is a fascinating completion, 393 pages. Uh, again, this is a, a book that many people will enjoy reading, and as you've uh, said, your target audience probably would be mostly adult women because it is a sexy, steamy romance. However, yeah. many others may also want to pick up a copy of it. This, again, the title is A Shade of Darkness, and my author, J.A. Clausen, and Clausen is spelled different than how it sounds. It's spelled K-L-A-S-S-E-N, Clausen. Jan, where can we get copies of your book? 
Um, you can get it from Amazon.com, uh, Kindle.com, Kobo.com, uh, and Barnes and Noble. Yep. Jan, what has been the the response from the literary community? Well, I had um, put my book into Pacific Book Reviews, and they gave me a four star. So um, that one was very encouraging for me, and I was very excited when I saw that. That's exciting. Any first-time author that gets a four-star rating is uh, is to be commended. Like, I was just totally, totally wow. <laughs> Fantastic. And there are the threequel or sequel, or there's more to come in the future. Yes, there is, definitely. Have you developed a website yet or a social media contact place? No, I haven't. Not yet. All right. They can no. still do a search under your name, J. A. Clausen, K-L-A-S-S-E-N, and yep. uh, be informed about this book and others, and they can also get updates on when your next book is released. And hopefully we'll get to talk with you again and find out more about what's going on in your future. Yes, thank you very much. My pleasure. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing. More joy and less judgment. You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, A Sojourn Among the Avatars of Wisdom, and the author is Dudley Meekum, and Dudley joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dudley. Hi, Steve. Great to have you with us, Dudley. We're going to talk about this action-adventure, as you call it, even though it has lots of uh, different elements than most adventures, because you're going to throw in lots of nuggets of wisdom and a little bit of a fantasy, but we'll get into those details in a moment. Let me read what you've written about your book. You say this, Guided by the wisdom of the ages, an astronaut competes in a tournament to become a knight. And he begins an epic adventure that will change his life forever. So, kind of uh, modern because we're dealing with an astronaut to the International Space Station. Yes, he makes a journey up from the space shuttle and rendezvous with the International Space Station and is scheduled to perform some duties. Scheduled to perform some duties, and then, of course, the unexpected happens. Before we get into the unexpected, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wrote the book. I wrote the book as a gift to my younger self because I didn't experience as much success as my colleagues or people my age. So I figured that my younger self would probably need not my wisdom, but the wisdom of the world's greatest sages. 
And what I do is I provide the connective tissue that, that weaves all that logic or wisdom together. Very interesting. So you, through your life experiences, uh, some uh, wisdom quotes that ring true with you included those into this story. Yes. Things that really resonated with you, things that you needed. That's correct. All right. Very good. Well, I'm sure they're universally needed. Many of us, uh, life is filled with all kinds of challenges. So let's talk about Chris Cole and the challenges that he is facing. As we already mentioned, he's an astronaut, and he's he goes up to the International Space Station. I guess, uh, is this his first time? It is, indeed. So he's got a lot of a lot of different feelings about this. Right, it's a once in a lifetime journey for him. Once in a lifetime journey. And what happens? Things go wrong, he returns to Earth. He could not return to the the original location where he took off from, so he lands at Edwards Air Force Base in California and then eventually goes to kill a day until his return flight the next day, he journeys to a medieval fair where the king unexpectedly selects him as a contestant in a medieval tournament. So this tournament is real? It is at the at the medieval fair, yes. Yes, so he has to learn to do what? He needs to learn how to wield a longsword. But really, it's a it's a padded long sword, so he won't do damage to himself or other, or hurt other people, other contestants. But behind the scenes, there's much more going on. Yes, enemies coalesce to thwart him, and they pretty much succeed at different points during the book. But the, a cast of colorful characters guide him on the, on the correct path, using using the wisdom of the world's greatest sages verbatim. So why would these enemies, what made them his enemies? The the wizard said that for him to proceed in this training, for him to introduce Chris Cole to a friend of the wizard's, that he had to overcome one of his fears, and one of his fears, which happens to be pretty much everyone's fear, number one fear, that is public speaking, and that, in fact, happens to be worse than the fear of dying. But during the course of giving a speech, he he did so from the perch where the jester usually gives his speech, so he immediately made an enemy right there on the spot. So the jester, in turn, leads his forces against Chris, and it's a, it's a long day for Chris Cole. So this jester is uh, one of the main characters? Yes, he is. Well, tell us a little bit about him. As a jester, he knows how to make fun of people, and he becomes so good at it that really Chris Cole is an easy target for him, and it doesn't take much effort on the part of the jesters to just dissuade Chris to, to continue in this contest. So he, when his, his verbal uh, arrows don't do the trick, then he enlists other people to physically dissuade Chris from carrying on with the tournament. I guess we all have jesters in our lives, don't we? We, already, we all have that jester who wants to make fun of us. 
Yes, and, and perhaps the jester in our own mind might be that that person. Very well, yes, in our own mind. And the wizard must play an important role here? Yeah, he plays an important role. He's one of a cast of supporting characters, but he definitely lifts Chris off his, off of his feet first and then introduces him to other people who in turn help Chris Cole as well. So this medieval fair, this tournament, really is more about real life than some kind of fantasy. You could look at it that way, of course. Yes, at some point in your life you're not prepared for the the conflict that you enter and you turn uh, turn to the advice of others for help and I would imagine that the advice of the world's greatest sages would probably trump uh, person A or person B. Now, this advice from the world's greatest philosophers and sages, what is, the, what is their role here? What, uh, how do you work that into this whole story theme, the plot? In fact, you even called it that writing your book was like uh, a Rubik's Cube. Yes, because the the advice has to be solicited, therefore the protagonist has to be laid low many times during the story. And I had to decide which character was going to say which pearls of wisdom, in which order, and in which scene. So I had to keep moving the advice around among the different characters and in different scenes to make it work, because setting up setting up solicited advice is a bit like setting up a joke you just can't lob the punchline in there anywhere it has to it has to flow naturally timing is everything yes and i guess the same with how we use wisdom timing is everything of course we have to be ready to accept it absolutely and that usually takes place when not when things are going well, but when things are not going well. You write that Chris really has created a prison of his own making. Now, how do you explain that? When he was young, he, he got into a fight and was knocked out. And according to Chris, the only, only thing worse than that happening is, is death. So he takes that incident and carries it with him for the rest of his life, or at least until he meets the current char- cast of characters. And because he's a more of a technical kind of guy, more of an engineer, he doesn't really excel in the physical aspects of life. And in that respect, that's, that's his prison, as he can't, can't do well physically. And through every, the cast of characters' wisdom, those those characters are able to change Chris's mind. Does he have a friend that really, who really helps him? I try to make it so that everyone helps him pretty much equally. It, it would, if it were just one person, it would, people would lose interest in the story. Dudley, we've been mentioning words of wisdom from these philosophers and from sages. Why don't you give us some of these, this wisdom that you included in this storyline? One of the quotes goes as follows. Iron rusts from disuse, stagnant water loses its purity, and in cold weather becomes frozen. Even so does inaction sap the vigor of the mind. 
That was said by Leonardo da Vinci. So these quotes, these words of wisdom, they're very deep. Yes, they are. Are they all like the one you just read, or do they have that kind of style? Yes, they are a paternal tone, so that you don't need to make the same mistake that it's already pointing you in the right direction. It can save you time as a reader. A very unique literary style because of those who shared this kind of wisdom, but at the same time, directly to the point. Yes. Please share another one. The next one goes as follows. All successful men have agreed in one thing. They were causationists. They believed that things went not by luck, but by law, that there was not a weak or cracked link in the chain that joins the first and last of things. That was said by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Obviously, well-known philosophers that you have shared with us. We've been talking with Dudley Meekum. He's the author of his book, A Sojourn Among the Avatars of Wisdom. Dudley, what's the best way to get your book? You can obtain a copy through Amazon.com or through my website, www.dudleymeekum.com. And I watched a YouTube trailer on your book. Hopefully it was entertaining. Yes, and tell our listeners how they can watch. They can go to YouTube and type in the words Dudley Meekum. Last name is spelled M-E-C-U-M. Thank you so much, Dudley, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thanks for having me, Steve. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.